call this half-truths and full faith. And with the best of intentions, people often share comments with us that seem biblical and certainly have both the sound of something the Bible would say and ring true of our understanding of God and our relationship with him in this world full of brokenness. We too may use these encouraging cliches with confidence as if the words themselves will make everything better. Sometimes they do. See if any of these sound familiar to you. God will allow only good things for those who he loves. If he leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. Right? Everything happens for a reason. God helps those who help themselves. God won't give you more than you can handle. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Like that little resolute. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Now there's truth in all of these. There are, I promise you. And they sound like wonderful things. They're well-intended words of encouragement or comfort for those who may be in a dark moment or disheartening situation. And for the most part, they do reflect God's love and care for us. But they're only half-truths. And as a matter of fact, these aren't found in the Bible, at least not in those, in those words. So to make that point, I'm going to do a little game. We haven't done a little congregational interaction in a while. It's been a while since we did any giveaways. I was thinking of that. There was, there was a sermon I did. I looked back, and it was 2018, and it was Biblical Mythbusters. Do you remember that one? That was kind of fun. We took the, the misquoted things and did that, and, and the first thing I gave out was a, a charm blow pop. Yeah, a charm blow pop. And I, I said, no, there's a myth about chewing and swallowing gum, right? That it will stay in your stomach for seven years. I think mom's told us that. And I said, that's not true, but the biblical thing, this too shall pass. Da-dum-bum. Yeah. <laughs> now, actually, the best one was the Pop Rocks when I talked about not being lukewarm. And I remember looking at the back row, and back there is Irene, mouth open, Pop Rocks going. <laughs> you guys don't miss what you can see from the front up here, I tell you what. Uh, but anyway, I was looking back through that because there were some really good verses in there. And this kind of reminded me of, of some of these. But, but I want to do a little participation here. I'm going to call this Scripture or Shakespeare. So as I'm reading the following quotes, I'll ask you if you think it's from the Bible or from the writings of William Shakespeare. And don't worry, okay? If you get these wrong, it reflects more poorly on me as your teacher than it does on you. So you guys are fine. How about this? To thine own self be true. Shakespeare. Let's go hand in hand, not one before the other. Shakespeare. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Bible, Deuteronomy. Out of the mouth of babes. Bible. Condemn the fault, not the actor of it. Shakespeare it does kind of sound a lot like, except the, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Bible. I'm using King James, obviously, to make it sound a little Shakespearean. It is a wise father that knows his own child. Proverbs? Shakespeare. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Shakespeare. King Henry IV. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. I feel like i got to do that one like the, the guy from um, King Linnaeus, Linnaeus from uh, 300. Remember that? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Bible, Isaiah, the truth shall make you free. Bible, I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Oh, it's the Bible, Job. I had to look that one up too. I didn't believe that. Men of few words are the best men. Sherry Bennett, July, no. (laughs) I'm sorry, Shakespeare. (laughs) Neither a borrower nor lender be. 
Shakespeare. For many are called, but few are chosen. Bible, Matthew. Last one. This is easy. Money is the root of all evil. It's, it's a trick question. The love of money is the root of all evil is the quote, and it is the Bible. So that is. Again, with good intentions, shares, <laughs> we share statements like these that we believe to be truths and are attribute them to God's promises from his word because they sound like what we know of God. And a lot of these, right, these sound like, like something that God would, would tell us from what we know on them. But I, uh, this week we're going to take a look at three of the most often spoken, I call them half-truths, I've heard them called the half-truths, and we're going to find their scripture, apply the context, and discover that the place for faith in the encouraging message of the true original mess, uh, biblical text. So we may revisit some of these later in the summer, but I'm going to do three. One is this. Everything happens for a reason. Is this really what the Bible teaches, or is this a misinterpretation of a Bible's truth? Now, those words themselves are not actually in there. But we want to believe that there is a purpose in everything that happens, especially those things that are bad, right? We want to know this purpose. We also want to believe that the purpose is something that will benefit us personally. And this is based on things like Proverbs 16.4. It says, The Lord made everything for a purpose, even with the wicked for an evil day. Okay? Those words may not be there, but listen to where we're getting that from. There is purpose in things. Ecclesiastes 3.1, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, there's a song they're going to stick in your head. Turn, turn. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, this is Paul speaking of Israel's history of being a chosen people, being rescued and saved, and then punished for breaking the covenant law. He was saying there's a purpose in that, and he was sharing this in his letter to the Corinthians. Romans 8, 28, very familiar. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according for his purpose, right? So everything happens for a reason. We know that God will, will use this. He has a purpose for our lives and, and will use the events in our life. Philippians 1.12, again, it's the Apostle Paul's words. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, that's Paul speaking about his persecution and imprisonment. He's saying there's a purpose in there. It may not be, you know, God may not be the reason I'm suffering from this or, or whatever I've done, but he's saying God will make this to fulfill his purpose. Another one, Genesis 50.20, says you intended to harm me. Right, this is, this is um, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God, God even used people like Pontius Pilate and Judas to accomplish good. Now, did God want them to make evil decisions? No, of course not. But he says, I will use these bad decisions for my purpose. There's a purpose in them. So there's a reason or those things become uh, a part of the reasoning of God. It's as if God is saying, okay, all right then. If that's the choice you want to make, if you want to betray, you know, this man who you've been following around, Judas, Pontius Pilate, if you want to betray the power that you've been given, and even though you know he's innocent, that's the choice you want to make. I'll just cast you as a villain in the story I'm writing. Okay, you'll just be the bad guy. But my story's still been written. That story will still go the way that I want it to. That's what God's saying. 
You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is another one that we, we like to lean on. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? It's a plan. He understands he's in control. The problem that the statement creates when we say everything happens for a reason is that we may be tending to think selfishly, especially if we want to believe that the purpose benefits us primarily or, or maybe even exclusively when in fact it may benefit many others and, and not us. The biblical truth is this, God is in control and he works all things for his good purpose, which he has promised as we read in, in those verses, includes plans that take care of us. And, and this is out of his great love for you that he does these things. God uses bad decisions like, like those of Pontius Pilate and Judas and, and our own to bring about what happened that wasn't good, right? So for in the case of Pontius Pilate and Judas, he used those, he brought about what was good. It wasn't good for Jesus Christ. In fact, we know from the garden, he was praying, Lord, take this from me. But then he did the mature prayer and says, but your will be done. So this stuff that was happening wasn't for the good of Jesus. But certainly benefited many, many others, including you, including me, right? Those things we pray against. Sometimes God says, I hear you, I'm sorry, child. But trust me in this, there's some good coming out of it for many people. How about this one? God helps those who help themselves. So there's a survey conducted in 2017, and it revealed that 50 per, 52% of Christians strongly agreed that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. Now, is this really what the Bible teaches, or is a little bit of a misinterpretation of a truth? So we want to believe this because perhaps we want to feel like we have power and input in our future. The harder that we work, the more God will bless us. And, and there is some, like you said, these are half-truths. Perhaps we want to think that there will be special treatment for us and people like us that work really hard. Well, there will be a divine judgment for those we deem to be lazy. But this statement is likely based on verses like Colossians 3, 23 through 24. And I, I love this. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now think about that in every application of your life. Everything you volunteer for, every job you've ever had or, or will take, and it says, do that as if you're working for God. Of course, he was the one that blessed you with it originally, right? So it is him that we give thanks, and the least we can do is good steward of this blessing. Say, I'm gonna work hard at it. I'm gonna do the best I can. But we take this verse and we hear the words, work for the Lord, since you know that you receive an inheritance as a reward. So, so we hear that and our little human nature starts to go, that's the reason I'm going to work hard. No, we work hard because we love God. How about this, Proverbs 14, 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The wisdom of Proverbs. Or maybe consider the message of the parable of the, the talents, or also called the bags of gold. Right? This is found in Matthew 25, where the master left and, and left small, varying amounts of, 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 of talents or, or gold with people. And, and they invested it some wisely, and some thought they were doing the thing, but we're essentially being lazy with it. But in verse 23, we read the master's response to the, the one who would, who would put in the effort and the work. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the kind of thing we want to hear when we meet our maker. Good, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I, I gave you some things to do in, in the world and you did them. Now come, come, let me give you more to do, wonderful things to do. Let me trust you with this and share. Come and share with me my happiness. The problem is created when we believe the statement that God helps those who help themselves and we take it literally like that out of context. Is that we, we set the groundwork for believing that we we are in control. The harder the work, we, the more we get. And to some degree there is on, a, on the earthly world, but not, not where it matters. And we may, as a result, develop this ulterior motive for doing good because we want, deserve, maybe even feel like we expect a reward when all we're really doing is the bare minimum expectation for all of us, which is to love others and to serve others. You know, that's, that's what he told us to do. And he did promise a blessing in response to that. Another problem we may, may be created is when we buy into the statement is that we may believe lies like, if I'm going to help God or others, first I need to help myself so I can be equipped and ready, right? Or I'll get myself right first, and then I'll be able to go out and help others be right. No. No. The statement puts you ahead of others, and really it puts you ahead of God. It's a clear violation of the first commandment. It says, no other gods before or besides me. I tell you, your testimony as someone struggling with your faith or with this life or whatever it may be is more powerful than someone who's got it all together. Because if you were to ask people why they don't feel comfortable coming to church or taking communion or whatever that might be, they'll say the same thing more often than not. It's, I got too much baggage, right? I got, there's too much going on. I'm not worthy. I, I've got stuff or, or the church is full of hypocrites. Right? I, I guess that's true, right? We're saying we should live this way, but we haven't quite mastered it yet. Right, come, come join us. Let's figure it out together. Let's support each other, encourage each other. That's why the church, the body of Christ exists. It wouldn't need to be here if, if we had it all figured out and worked out, right? That's heaven. That's heaven. The biblical truth is that you can't or, or couldn't do for yourself what God has already done for you. The beauty of how God works in our lives is that he doesn't require us to try to clean it up or fix it for ourselves, certainly not first. He invites us to bring him into the situation from the very beginning. Lord, I'm taking on this thing. I need you here. So I'm right here. And he does this right where we're at, right with the things the way they are. In other words, before you try to do anything yourself, bring God or bring it to God first. That's the way salvation works. It's also the way that our walk with Christ works. Try, try today with a, a prayer of confession during our time of communion. Just say the word and say, God, take this challenge, take this anxiety, take this fear, take this sin, whatever it may be, take it off me, right? I'm gonna bring you into this first. The truth isn't that God helps those who help themselves. Rather, God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. That's where God's specialty lies. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. And the apostle Paul often spoke up boasting in his weaknesses because he was strengthened by God to fullness. And so he realized it was good to be in need and then to rely on God's help. That's when he had his true power. That's when the true power of grace was there because the more he struggled, the more he realized that he was failing in some of these areas, the more powerful he was because God was more at work filling those gaps little word of, of, you know, warning and, and maybe even caution or accountability. God's help doesn't relieve us of any responsibility. If 
you ask God to do things for you, like God will help you with boldness to speak the gospel, but you still have to open your mouth and speak. God will help you find a job, but you still have to go out and look. God will help you improve your relationship with others, but you still have to commit to spending time with those people. God will help you pass a test. He will he'll help you with the temptation, but you have to prepare yourself. You have to ask for the help. This is the whole word of intentionality that we've been talking about this year, right? Go, do. Listen to these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This is found in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who speaks, seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you hear the action words in here? It takes something on your part. And the last one we'll talk about this morning is God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, sometimes that makes you feel good and sometimes, depending on how you take it, not so much. This one, you know, is it again, is it a Bible teaching or is it a misinterpretation of a biblical truth? We want to believe that God would never, ever allow anything bad to happen to us or, or anyone we care about or allow us to suffer, right? We want to believe that. So we say, yeah, God's not going to give us anything more than we can handle. We want to believe that we can handle anything that can come at us. And this is likely based on 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, right? There's nothing you're going through that hasn't been felt by someone before, probably many, many, many before. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's what we hear, that's what we read. The problem that it creates is when we believe that we are equipped to handle everything alone. And alone is the, the key word there. We talked about being equipped for these things when we talked about the full armor of God. But, but even that, every part of it is something we're taking with us. The word, right? The spirit. We get discouraged if we aren't coping well with things on our own because we start to judge ourselves harshly. God, God thinks we can handle it alone, right? That's why God, God won't let me handle more of this. So if I'm struggling, I must be failing as a Christian because I'm not handling it. Okay? Those aren't the words of a good God. Those are the words of the other guy that wants you to question it. Another danger is we stay in the situation because we believe we can handle it when in fact there are times and situations that God tells us that we cannot or should not be there. And there he tells us to flee. 1 Corinthians six eighteen. he uses the word flee talking about certain temptations. He says flee. But what the Bible actually promises is this, and I find it in these words, like 2 Timothy 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God will rescue you. 2 Thessalonians 3.4. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Right? That shield that fights off those fiery arrows. 2 Corinthians 12.10, that is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. This is Paul. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I love this. This is, again, 1 Corinthians 10, that verse, but we're going to take it in context, right? No temptation has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But listen to this, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's the rest of the promise. That is the full truth. 
And it's worth noting that the Greek word pierasmos, interpreted here as meaning temptation, also means tested. In fact, some translations of the Bible will say, no testing has overtaken you except what is common among kind. And he will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. I believe that it's important to, to mention this because every temptation that we face contains a choice. Will I do this or won't I? Right? A choice. Pontius Pilate had a choice. Judas had a choice. You have a choice. What will I do? What will I not do? What will I say? What will I not say? What will I think? What will I not think? God does test us. That's promise. That's a scriptural promise. But he doesn't tempt us to sin. He doesn't want us to sin. James 1.13 tells us we will never be tempted by God. Never be tempted to sin or to commit evil. God does not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear because he provides us a way out. And our way out is through prayer, through scripture, through accountability partners, right? It's through the love and mercy of grace of God himself that will guide us out of those situations when we ask. Here's the truth. If God didn't give us more than we could handle, we would never need him. That's the truth, right? Listen to this perspective from the Apostle Paul. It's found in Romans 5, 33, Romans 5, verse 3 through 5. It says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials or tests. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confidence, hope of salvation. Do you see this? How it happens? God wants us to handle, take on some things that we can't handle alone because we were never developed, intended to handle them alone. We invite him in, and then he says this, I'm going to develop some endurance in you, and then I'm going to develop some strength of your character, and then I'm going to develop some, some confidence in your hope of salvation. Okay? And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love his letter to the Corinthians, he says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, this affliction. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. A pleasure, that's a, that's a pretty strong word, you know, but I like hearing the word joy, right? Take joy. You don't have to be happy about them. You don't be, have to be pleased with them, but there was some, some pleasing that happens, some joy that happens in these weaknesses and the insults, the hardships and persecutions that we suffer, especially the ones we suffer for Christ. If he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong, I'm made strong. Doesn't this sound like that first statement we studied? Everything has a purpose. Do you see the way that God works these into a good purpose? They develop strength and character and confidence and faith. So based on scripture and the, the accounts that it contains, some of it, which we've referred to, looking at my own life, it's clearly evident to me that we're going to face tough times in life and, and plenty of things that we can't handle, at least on our own. And we were never intended to do this alone. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ. We have each other. And I've certainly wrestled with this truth and understanding why God would allow us to go through these. What I do know is God is sovereign. He is in control, and he uses trials to exhibit his glory, right? It's the backside of these stories that, that glorify him. And I also know that God promises to be with us in, in every single one of these times. This is what grants us peace and confidence as a basis for our faith. 
call this half-truths in, in full faith, right? These, these things that are said, they're, they're good statements. They may not be word for word out of, the, out of the Bible, but you can see the truth about God's love for us as it shines through knowing some of these things that are said. Everything happens for a reason. God will use them, and he has a reason in the way that he uses them. God helps those who help themselves. God doesn't want you to do it yourself. The truth is God wants to do it with you. And the hard stuff, like salvation, he's already done for you. And he won't give you more than you can handle because you do not have to handle a single thing alone, nor should you try. So we take these half-truths and we convert them into things of faith. J.C. Ryle once said, whenever a man takes upon him to make additions to the scripture, he is likely to end with valuing his own additions more than scripture itself. So keep that in mind. It's important that we understand what we're reading and why, because, because the truth is so much more important, and that's what we need to be focusing on. So even with good intention, scripture's taken out of context, misunderstood and are misapplied. We need to be careful so that we aren't misled or even miss the greater message, and that's the real danger hearing the full truth. Friends, what I've shared with you this morning, I hope you hear it's an encouraging message. Even though the truth may not be exactly what we were told through these three statements, the full truth is so much better. There may not be a good reason for the things that happen in in your life, but, but they will be used for the purposes of our good God who promised to love and care for you. You shouldn't help yourself first because you put God first and others ahead of yourself and then everybody around you does likewise then you have the added benefit of blessings of the help of many others, not just you doing it yourself. And all ships will rise, not from the Bible. And you will get into situations that you can't handle. It's the truth. But the truth is also that you never meant to face or deal with them alone. God has promised you that he is with you always. So let's honor his good promises with a prayer. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, we know you're with us. We know that you give us things that we can't handle alone, nor should we try. And that is done with a purpose. And that purpose is to seek you, to lean hard on you. That's one thing that that is so contrary to our nature. We're, We're so inclined to think that as we grow, we should become more and more independent. But in the spiritual sense, the more we grow, the more reliant we should become. Heavenly Father, if there's anything on our hearts this morning that we need to let go, something that we're trying to hold on to, toe tight, a control, a a fear, an anger, whatever it may be, Lord, will you take that from us? If there's something that we're trying to do on our own, would you remind us that you're with us? Lord, as we prepare to come to the communion table in a moment here, let there not be any hesitation in our heart because you invite us, you welcome us, you say, come. Come here, child. Heavenly Father, we know nothing delights you more than when we make a decision for you. And if, if we've already made that decision and just need to reaffirm it in our heart, I know you delight. Scripture says that there are multitudes in heaven celebrating every one of these decisions. So Lord, if that's a decision we need to make or remake this morning, let that happen as well. Father, we turn over our entire lives to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, you see it all. You love us all. You accept us all. It's in your son's name we pray and we celebrate this morning. Amen.